What is shaking, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Wind Up Podcast. It is good to be back. I hope everybody had an amazing 4th of July. Uh, This has been an episode that I've been gearing up for now for about two weeks. I've had to put it kind of on pause because I wanted to uh, maintain kind of our schedule and do our Q&A last week. Uh, this week, we're going to go into and dive deep into one of my favorite kind of events slash parties uh, that we're a part of every single year with a close group of friends of ours. And we're going to really dive even further into kind of wine aging and particularly older vintages of wine, because it's something that we we talk about kind of anecdotally quite a bit. You know, how long should wine last? When should you drink it? How do you decide when to open it? What's kind of the best you know ways to go about enjoying some of these old wines? And that's what we want to talk about today. And we're going to talk a whole lot about a whole lot of wine. And I'm going to go through them one by one by one. Uh, You may have seen me post this as a short or a reel, uh, whether you're on the Instagrams or the YouTubes. I'm going to have a link in the description of this video to that so you can see the full lineup of wines that we're going to be talking about. I'm going to try and tackle as many of them as I can, kind of pick out some of the favorites, what they were like, kind of what to expect, but also, you know, how these wines actually last as long as they did. So I'm, this is, it's one of my favorite things that we do as a group of friends every single year. And it's, it's a little bit of a humble brag because nobody brings a slouch. Every, everybody really chips in and it's usually about 12, maybe like 16 or 18 people at most. We try and keep it relatively small. That way everyone can have a taste of like each bottle that's brought out. Like it's, it's this, it's a geeky wine party where we get together. And I guess I'll start there with kind of like the origin story of how this came to be and and why we talk so much about, hey, just like if you need to open a good bottle of wine, open a good bottle of wine and just have at it and enjoy it and share it with friends because it's better to enjoy it rather than potentially let it go bad or maybe you never get the chance to enjoy it. And this is really how I uh, view this party in particular. So... Uh, this all started is either 12 or 13 years ago, uh, and there were a group of uh, who are now friends uh, that started this, and I, I came in a couple years later. I think 2014 was the first time I attended this event, and the reason they started this was, you know, 12 years ago or so, you know, all of us were kind of young professionals. Um, there were a lot of 30th birthday parties all of us were pretty broke trying to really make it in the wine industry. And we we're like, listen, you know, every, we're going to have like four or five 30th birthday parties every year for the next like five years. So we're going to we're going to die. <laughs> that's that's too much partying. That's too much partying. You know, we can't do these big trips. We can't keep doing all these big dinners. Let's just get together and all celebrate, have like one big night where we celebrate everybody's birthday kind of at once for this milestone. So it became the 30-year party. And the group in the first iteration of this invited a small group of people, just like I was talking about, and said, hey, everybody, if you can, bring a 30-year-old bottle of wine, bring a birth year wine. For those that don't know, for like us in the wine industry, and even for some of you winos out there, like you know this, like to have a wine from your birth year is just fucking cool. (laughs) 
like it's it's something that I, this it's kind of weird like for me for my birthday every single year i try and find a cool birth year wine to share with friends and the great thing is is you don't necessarily have to break the bank it, they're not really i mean you can find some really good stuff at a really great price that's aged a long time and i'll give you some tips and tricks on that kind of towards the end on like how to shop for some of these older vintages because it that's that's a, an important you know part of this is if you're if you don't have any old wine laying around how do you acquire it and what do you need to look for when purchasing said old wine so that's going to be at the very end uh you know we'll get into that for sure for sure so they start this party and a couple years later, in 2014, I'm, I'm pretty sure this was the first year that I attended because it, it stands out for this reason. One, it was, I remember 1984, like being the first vintage we focused on because, you know, 30 years back in 2014 was 1984, easy math. And two people actually brought the same wine and it was a Ridge, Ridge Vineyards out in the Santa Cruz Mountains, you know, an iconic producer in the, in the world of wine. And they brought their white Zinfandel. A 30-year-old white Zinfandel. And guess what? It was actually pretty damn good. <laughs> it, it made all of us were all of us were like, this is gonna be a joke. It's gonna be bad. There's no shot. We pour it out of the bottle, like it still looks bright, it still looks pink, it's not like browning or like looks like it's spoiling. It it, it we smell it and we're like it actually smells kind of good. And we all taste it and we're like, yeah, it's like well-made white zin. <laughs> It's a little sweet, so that helped act as a preservative, kind of extended the life of that wine, probably. It obviously had been stored really, really well. And this night, this 30-year-old white Zinfandel was like, all right, well, if that's where we're starting the night, let's see where we go from here. And that's kind of the stuff that we do. So every year since then, we get together in June, typically around the summer solstice. It's like our big like kickoff to summer party, celebrate a bunch of birthdays. Everyone brings, you know, at least a 30-year-old bottle of wine. That's kind of the entry, that's like the ticket price to get into the party. Uh, and it's a small group, that way we can taste through just all of these ridiculous wines. And it's just an outrageous amount of fun. Uh, hold on two seconds. I'm gonna pause because the cat's yelling. You might hear him in the background. I'm gonna like, hold on, be right back, be right back. It never fails, it never fails. As soon as I decide to start recording anything, the cats start to get feisty. That's just how it is around here. The joys of doing it live, I love it. All right, so this year, because it's 2023, we're looking for wines from 1993 and we're going to go through this lineup kind of like one by one. Uh, I'm going to point out some of the favorites. Uh, I'm going to point out and kind of give you a little description on like where they're at. Uh, of course, many of these are, if you're into wine, a lot of these names you'll recognize. There are a few French and Italian wines in the lineup. And I, fair warning, my French and my Italian are terrible. I'm going to mispronounce every single word on those labels. That's just them as the ropes. Uh, but bear with me, we'll try and do the best we can. And again, if you want to see this full lineup and kind of follow along, uh, click the link down in the description of the video. That'll pop up the short with the full video of all the wines that we are going through here today. So uh, I'm going to try and like tackle them two by two. Uh, that way we can kind of work through the video somewhat quick. Otherwise, we will probably be here all day talking about these wines. All right. So 
I, I'm going to start with the first wine of the night because it is truly, for me, it, it's, it's one of my favorite Napa producers. Um, I think they did end up selling, uh, unfortunately. You know, for all of us small guys, you see a small brand sell and you're like, oh, damn it, really? You guys were so cool and now it's some large company or something that owns you. That's so sad. And this is one of those. But it's still just one of the most iconic wines that Napa has had to offer. Some of the wines, you know, are just, I mean, they're ridiculously delicious. And they stand the test of time, which is always a, a, you know, a key part for this particular tasting. So we started the night with a 1993. And all the vintages I'll be saying from here on out are 1993. So just assume that the wines are all 30 years old. Uh, This was a Diamond Creek Red Rock Terrace. And if you've had if you've had Diamond Creek before, you know what I'm talking about. This this is this is the wine we started with, which I think was kind of a mistake because it's so damn good that it's like, where do we go from here? Like, what? How? It doesn't really get much better than this. Realistically, this is such an iconic wine, and it show it was showed so much life, and it was just like, oh my god, like this has not gone anywhere. It had oxidized like a little bit, but it didn't taste tired. You know, it was still bright, so very, there's a lot of structure in that wine. Uh, The 93 Red Rock Terrace was just, it was like, oh, we're starting the party now. And then just like socked you upside the head, like, all right, let's do this. Um, It was just absolutely an outrageous wine to start with. Uh, It it just, if you've... It's one of those producers, like, listen, if, if you're, if you want to get into like old Napa or you want to experience a producer, if you've not had any Diamond Creek, it's worth going to seek it out. Yeah, they sold, but if you can find some older vintages um, or jump on their allocation or mailing list and, and try some, they're worth a shot. It's, for me, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great kind of old school personal connection to like what Napa was and has been historically with these small family brands that just make gangster wine that maybe you've never heard of. And this is one of them. And if you're looking for wines to age, this is akin to like a Dunn Howe Mountain Cabernet. Like you can throw this in a wine cellar or a fridge or basement or whatever, and it's going to last 30 years. No problem. You'll, you Like no problem whatsoever. If, if I see a bottle, like an older vintage of this, that's in remotely good condition on like a third party website, it automatically floats to the top of the list of what I'm interested in buying because it's just, it's such an iconic producer. And this wine was just lights out. There were a lot of us like, well, I guess it doesn't get much better than that. We'll see you next year. Bye. But we had a lot more wine to drink. So uh, the next wine that we had to open, and, and once we get past these first two, these kind of like stood out because they were so good right out of the gate. The next few wines after we get are like in no particular order because at a certain point, people just start popping bottles and it becomes a little bit more of a party, but we still kind of hang out and discuss the wines. Uh, the next one uh, was a 93 Palmire. And Palmire. Many people know Paul Meyer. Uh, in in more recent years, I, I've this is very subjective, but I'm not a huge fan of their wines and their more current releases. But their older stuff is something I really latch onto. I say the same thing about Silver Oak. Like any of the new releases, I'm like, eh, it's fine. But anything from like the mid to late '90s and back, I'm I'm like, sign me up. I'm all about it. Uh, this Paul Meyer was pro- arguably my favorite wine of the night. There were a couple of others that gave it a run for its money, but it was just lights out. Um, absolutely insane wine. 
Um, it, it tasted like it was 10 years old. Like that was the thing. This, this one definitely, I think out of the bunch that we tried this particular night, it, this one seemed like the youngest of the bunch. It showed like no signs of breaking down, no signs of oxidation. It was just yummy and delicious. And I, I would say arguably the youngest tasting wine of the bunch. It was in a really, really, really good spot. And, you know, to start off with these couple of wines, you know, this is when Napa were making these more structured, a little bit more restrained style of wine. And this is what you get, in my opinion, when you let those wines age. And this is why I love personally making wines in a little bit more of a restrained style, because when you get to that 10, 15, 20, 30 year range, you end up with some really cool stuff that's just special to share and enjoy with people. So those first two, I mean, arguably a couple of the best wines we had that night, really, really ridiculous. Um, we did have a little, our first French wine of the night was a Chateau a Cluc Milon, uh, and it was a Grand Cru Class A from the right bank. Uh, so Merlot, Cab Franc based wine. And this was also solid. It was a little bit of a shock to the system because we opened up the night with a lot of Napa. So we have these, you know, what are a little bit more fruit driven, a little bit softer, less earthiness, uh, really, you know, intense California wines. And then you had this super structured, really gritty, I thought, uh, Bordeaux, which was delicious, like right up my alley, but it took a few sips to get into it. And this is, you know, whenever you're wine tasting, whether you're going through old stuff or new wines or just at, you know, your, a local wine shop doing a flight, it always helps to take a few sips and see how that wine kind of evolves. The first sip, you're still tasting some of the previous wine, so it's gonna to be tough to really dive into. Um, the second, third sip, you actually start really experiencing the wine. That's what this one took. Um, it really, really was shining after a little bit of time just sitting there in the glass. This one I swirled a lot just because it was kind of feisty. This was one of the feistier wines of the bunch uh, from this lineup. Uh, solid on all accounts highly recommended i don't even remember if i've had this producer before i know the name uh but this was this was one where someone got it for like a screaming deal too which made no sense to me so i think someone said they bought this for somewhere between like 30 or 40 bucks i might be making that up but it was like a steal is where they found this and they got it like on a really good deal. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And if that's really the price for this, can you get more? Because at that price, give me a case of it. Shit, God damn, it's it was really, really good. Uh, from there, we dove into a couple of Napa classics. Uh, we had a Mandavi, a Reserve Cabernet, as well as a Beaulieu Vineyards, uh, Georges de la Tour. I fucked that up. I tried to be fancy and say it with a French flair and it did not work. That's my bad. Ignore that. Moving on. And these two were like fine. These were solid, good, not necessarily anything to write home about, but really solid kind of standout wines. Uh, they, they were fine. They, they, this was just like, these are good. They're old. They For those first few wines that we went through, those were like super good standouts. How do I find more of these? These ones are like, if they're on the table, you're not gonna be disappointed. If you're into old wine, you're gonna love these wines. They'll be just fine. Uh, you know, they're classic Napa producers. You're gonna do just just fine with them. Uh, the next one, this was actually one of the biggest surprises of the night. This was uh, the Storybook Mountain Zinfandel, a 30-year-old Zinfandel. And this wine was fire. 
back when people weren't making slutty high octanes in looking at you lodi jesus this was just so much finesse and so smooth and delicious and it had enough structure in the form of a really great acidity it was harvested a little earlier most likely which allowed it to have that backbone to stand the test of time this was this storybook mountains in was another runner-up for like wine of the night that that palmire and this were because this one had the shock factor because you don't think zin you don't think 30 year old zin is going to be awesome some of them do exist but they're super rare and this is one of them i couldn't believe that this actually stood the test of time and was tasting the way it was lights out but it's also storybook mountain like hey they'd, they'd make some pretty good juice uh, so we did have a couple of, actually, this might have been the only one. Uh, we did have a little bit of Australian. This was uh, some Penfolds Cabernet Sauvignon Bin 707. It wasn't Grange. Uh, it, it was just Bin 707. And this was fine. I'm actually not a big fan of Australian wines in general. So this was like, this was kind of like the BV and the Mandavi. It was like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's good for what it is. I could kind of care less, to be honest. It's it just not my thing. It was fine. It was good wine. There were other folks that were really into Australian wine that thought this was shining and in a really good spot, which I took their word for it because Australian wine is just not my thing. I, I got to drink more of them to kind of learn a little bit more about Australia and kind of what they do. Uh, another favorite wine of mine, though, came shortly after that, which was uh, Brunello di Montalcino. Um, I'm not even a bother trying to pronounce the name of this because I, I know that it's Brunello and it's going to be delicious. This was just awesome. And I and typically, you know, you, I, I think I always confuse. I know Barolos are really kind of built for that ageability. I don't think Brunello is as much typically. And... That, that was, this was another surprise, kind of like that storybook design. It was just like, oh my gosh, this is something that probably shouldn't have lasted 30 years, but somehow did, and it's magnificent. And this is kind of the great thing about doing events like this or like pulling random wines out of your own collection. Be like, I don't know what it's going to be like, but let's give it a shot. Every once in a while, you find a couple of these gems that maybe you thought they're long past or they're not going to be any good or like oh shoot i forgot we have that bottle it's not meant to age but now it's seven years old ten years old and we don't know what the hell we're going to do with it and you open it and you're like oh shit this is some, this is the real deal uh this brunello and that storybook were like the two surprises of the night for me those two wines were just absolutely lights out uh so this was we have another right bank uh, from Saint-Emilion, uh, Chateau Troplong. I probably screwed up that name. This was good. The Clark Milan I really, really loved. This one was like just good. Like if you wanted the old right bank Bordeaux, boom, this this will do it for you. Very solid, nice wine. Spoke my language. I'm like, I could put a straw in that for me and I'm just gonna slowly suck this thing down over the course of the entire evening. Delicious, really good stuff. Uh, my contribution to the night and this is kind of the joy of being in and around the wine industry, is I brought a 1993 uh, Anderson Con Valley Vineyards uh, State Reserve Cabernet, which was solid. You know, the mid-90s, and, you know, I'm a little biased because it is family after all, but the the 90, man, old Con Valley wines I just adore. I don't, like, drink a lot of the new current release stuff. Like many Napa wines, I typically don't drink current release. I try to drink those wines when they're at least 7 or 10 years old at a minimum. 
and preferably more like 15 to 20. That's that's how I drink old Napa wine because I'm a wine snob and, and that's just how I how I enjoy it. So the 93 was beautiful. Um, it's funny because I remember tasting the early 90s of Con Valley probably gosh, it probably would have been like eight, maybe 10 years ago. And I was not a fan. I, I really thought that they weren't going to necessarily stand the test of time. I, I was, I was worried about them. They, they just, they were not clicking on all cylinders. They were kind of in this weird phase and whatever that was, they've gotten through it. And the early nineties Con Valley wines have been just beautiful to dive back into. Uh, just, it was delicious. It was really, really delicious and interesting to kind of go back in history because I haven't, you know, having worked with the fruit last year and made some of those wines last year and, and a little bit more familiar with some of the current releases to go back 30 years and be like, oh, here's some of the historical record of where some of these wines, especially this estate reserve cab has been was just kind of cool. It, the nostalgia is real because at that I was six years old when that wine was made and I know I was probably driving a tractor through the fields and messing around with the ATVs, you know, running through it. So anytime I bring out an old Con Valley, just the nostalgia probably gets the better of me. Um, there were a couple that I didn't have. Um, I'm going to skip over. I couldn't even read that label, actually. And we'll move on to the Barolo. Uh, I think those were both Barolos, actually, uh, that we had. And both of them just were not great. Those, If there were any slouches in the lineup, the Barolos were them. Uh, they were heavily oxidized, really not showing a lot of character. One of them might have had, um, might have been flawed. It, it, it was like on the fence. It, it was a real like dirty sock, like kind of rat's nest kind of smell slash taste. Like, it, it was not good. Uh, and the other one was better, but also still heavily oxidized. Like I was actually really bummed about the Burlos. They just weren't showing well, uh, which was, I think, that was another surprise for that. We kind of expected those to have a little bit more life left in them. Um, it definitely seemed more like a storage issue. Like these probably were just stored improperly. They oxidized quite fast and they just didn't didn't last the way they should have, which is, you know, again, one of the risks of aging some of these wines that if you can't store them properly in a cool, dark place on their side with some humidity, they can go by the wayside pretty fast. This is why when we talk about aging wines, like, okay, well, how long? If you're talking about six months and you're going to drink that wine, you really don't really have to worry about it that much unless it's going to be super, super hot. If you're talking five, 10, or 15 years or more, now you need to invest in something like the big-ass wine fridge that's behind me so you can store all the really fun, expensive, or, you know, sentimental ones in there so you can age them for a long period of time in stable conditions. That's when you really need to key into storage is when you're aging for a long time. And those two Barolos just didn't really seem to hit that mark. It seemed like a storage issue more than anything else. All right, a couple more Napa classics. Uh, we had the Chorus and Vineyards, which if you know Kathy Chorus and Chorus and Vineyards, those wines are built for the long term. It, it was lights out. It was good. It is everything that you expect Corson to be. Uh, there was some Claude of All in the lineup, which I don't remember having. Uh, didn't hear anything particular about it. I'm assuming it was good because the bottle was empty by the time I got to it. Uh, so it must have been all right. Uh, but the Claude of All was also in the lineup for the night. The Corson's just, it's hard to argue with. I mean, it's classic Napa. Classic Napa. Uh, we had some Chateau Beaucastel, uh, Chateauneuf, Chateauneuf, Doofy Poopy, uh, Chateauneuf de Pop. Uh, 
it's this is the crazy thing about like old like Rhone Valley like anything like you start to get some of those real like umami like soy sauce like kind of characteristics out of them and they're just like for some reason it strikes a chord with me and I love old wines like Cote Roti, Old Chateau de Pop, uh, Cote de Rhone like give me any of those and I'm all about it so they're definitely funky they're definitely weird they are not for everybody, but if you want to get into just some really cool, interesting, really nerdy old wine, Old Rhone Valley is kind of where it's at. It's 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 a sleeper, I think. There's not a lot of people, I think, that really dive into Old Rhone Valley. It doesn't seem like it, but when you find them, it's like, man, these are damn good. Let's let them ride. Let them ponies run. Really tasty. Uh, this was the next one was uh, Pian del Chiampolo. Again, Italian's terrible, um, which I don't remember having. Um, I believe it was a Chianti. I'm trying to read the label here. It's a little blurry from the night. I was a little wobbly by the end of it when we took this video. Um, I didn't have that wine off the top of my head. Uh, definitely didn't stand out if I did. And the last one, uh, this was actually, I mean, line it up to knock it down for me. <laughs> you know, when you talk old Alsatian Pinot Gris, ugh. Baby, don't be so mean. Uh, it, it was fucking delicious. <laughs> Old white wine like this that's like off dry, that just is solid like that. I mean, line it up to knock it down. I will, oh, it was so good. So, so good. So that was the lineup. That was the full lineup. So again, you can go through the full video and kind of see that full lineup and kind of line it up with uh, the description as we were talking about them. But as promised, I do want to talk about a little bit about the kind of the method to the madness of these wines. If you're in search of these wines, how to track them down and kind of how to purchase these if you're shopping around. And I'm going to start out with number one, old wines, not for everybody. I kind of equate it to scotch in some ways where it's, maybe you don't necessarily like that. You like whiskey, but scotch is kind of a different thing, right? And maybe you're more into Highland or Lowland Scotch versus the, the islands, which are you know, super peaty and smoky and whatnot. So old wine can be like that. Talking about that old Rhone Valley stuff where it's like soy sauce and umami and fun funky, man, it can throw you for a loop. And any old wine can do that. Even old Napa can get really weird in times. And some of those flavors and characteristics just might not line up to what you like. The rule of thumb that I always kind of base this around is that if you like wines bigger, bolder, juicier, jammier, and kind of more intense, and you really, let's say you enjoy current releases typically, like when a wine club shipment shows up at your front door, you typically open those bottles and get after it, then probably drink your wine sooner rather than later. Doing something like this and aging wine for 30 years or buying old wine might not be for you. On the other side of it, you might also find some cool shit that you didn't know you liked, and now you have a whole nother realm of the wine industry to dive into. So if you're getting into old vintages, you have there is some risk and reward that you have to be okay with. There's going to be a decent chance, and this happened at the party. We had a couple of bottles that were corked. Uh, we talked about the Barolos that just weren't any good. There's going to be a chance that there are going to be wines that simply did not last. And that is the risk that you have to take. You kind of have to be okay dropping some coin and taking that risk. And if that's not something, if there's no value in that for you, then don't bother with this. But if you are interested in getting into some older wines, here's how to go about it. 
Number one, it does sort of help to know the region that you're buying from and also the producer that you're buying from. Now, similar to like the storybook Zinn, you know, or maybe uh, the Brunello, there are certain wines you're like, you know what, maybe it's not supposed to last that long, but let's give it a shot. You do find some oddballs like that where you're gonna find some cool stuff that did actually stand the test of time when maybe it really shouldn't have. But if you're just starting to dip your toes into this, you probably want to buy from reliable producers that truly build their wines to age. That takes a little bit more effort on your part or the consumer to do a little bit of research, understand who that producer is. Maybe you go on a website like a Vivino or is Delectable still a thing? I don't know, or a seller tracker and you try to tr kind of crowdsource specific vintages that you're interested in and certain producers that you're interested in. And you read through the comments and you say, okay, it seems like people like this or people are saying that this is kind of past its prime. So you gotta do a little bit of research and that does help immensely and it mitigates a lot of the risk that we were talking about when it comes to buying some of these old wines. So don't be afraid to take your time. Don't feel like you need to pull the trigger on something immediately unless maybe it's a special bottle. You know, I did that with a bottle of 1987 uh, Silver Oak. It was a magnum uh, that was signed by Justin Meyer, one of the original founders uh, of Silver Oak uh, before the Duncan family eventually took it all over. Um, you know, that that tug on some heartstrings for me because of his relationship with our family and growing up in the valley. Uh, so it was like, yes, shut up, take my money, and I need that bottle. So that was one of those things that I'm like, I needed to have it. And you might find something like that where maybe it's like an anniversary bottle or maybe it's like a really special producer that you personally love and you find like that unicorn wine, right? That's just special to you. So don't be afraid to pull the trigger. But also, again, understand that there's a risk in buying some of these old wines. Uh, number two, it, you're probably going to have to go through a third party to buy a lot of this. Uh, most wineries in this day and age, outside of a handful of them, really don't keep these older vintages around. And if they do, it's more for posterity's sake. It's more for internal use. They're not really selling them. So you may be able to find a few places. Uh, we're talking uh, like us or maybe CV and uh, Chorus and Vineyards and a handful of people that really still make wines to age that have these great libraries that you can purchase some of these older vintages from. We are few and far between in that camp. So you're really going to have to do some digging to unearth some of these. The good thing about going through the winery specifically is that you know that it's been stored well. It's been in a cave or a temperature controlled warehouse. It's had one owner. You haven't had to worry about it shipping across countries or states or oceans. It's very likely that it's in as good a condition as you can probably find. So if you can buy older vintages from a winery, you may be paying a bit of a premium for them and they might be tough to track down, but that's probably the safest way to know that the wine has been stored appropriately. So tracking down those producers can be a little tough, but well worth it if you are into old wine or even getting into old wine and trying to find some of these special bottles to enjoy. If you are going the third party route, let's say you're going to a website like winebid.com. That's actually where I do a lot of my shopping for some of these older vintages. There are a couple of key things to look at. One, it's an auction site. It's like an eBay for wine. You can pretty much find anything you want on there. If you want Screaming Eagle, you want some DRC, you want some Harlan, you want 30 year old whatever, you can find it. It's you're gonna You can find anything you want as long as you're willing to pay the money for it, 
you can get it. So those third-party stars are pretty great. They do a good job of verifying that the wine is actually legit. Uh, there are gun you do run the risk of like the Rudy Karanians of the world scamming people and saying, "Hey, I have this old bottle of wine." When it's not really that old bottle of wine, it's a, you know a counterfeit or something like that. Uh, luckily, a lot of that seems to have subsided. But again, you are you are buying from a third party. They might not be able to verify every owner you know along the purchase chain so again there is a little bit of risk there i've used them plenty of times the wines have actually turned out really really well every time i've used them that's probably luck of the draw but even so i'll take it so if you're shopping on those third-party sites there are a couple key things number one if the label is torn to shit don't worry about it as long as you know what the wine is that's the important thing now if you if aesthetics are important to you you're probably gonna have to pay extra for a label that is in like perfect condition it's like a trading card if the edge is bent you know if that rookie card is bent or scrape scratch up or something it's less than like a mint condition one the same thing goes for wine labels so sometimes you can find a little bit of a better deal on a label that's a little torn up or a little bit dirty or sullied in some shape or form save yourself a few bucks don't worry about the label so much just worry about the juice that's inside of it number two if you see a tagline in there that says signs of past seepage that's a big ass red flag the reason that that's a red flag is that means that wine was leaking through the cork and out of the bottle in some way, shape, or form. That indicates typically that one, there's a flaw within the cork, or more likely that it was stored improperly in some at some point in its life, which means that there's a bigger risk in buying that bottle. There's a pretty decent chance that it could have spoiled. Now, you might get lucky and you might find one that is in good condition. Uh, you know, or you hedge that and said, actually, for uh, this tasting is why I bought a really old port. It said signs of past seepage on it, but I'm like, it's port. It's fine. A little bit more oxygen is not going to hurt this wine. It's fortified. will be good. You buy it anyway. Madeira is the same thing. It actually does better the more oxygen it gets. Uh, so, you know, there are ways to kind of, again, mitigate some of that risk. But generally, if a bottle has been leaking, that's a big no-no. I'm not buying it. Not even going to consider it. I just kind of brush those off to the side even if it's a bottle that I really really want because I don't want to spend you know I don't even want to spend 40 bucks on something that's probably going to be bad right or has a really good chance of being bad because it was stored improperly somewhere along the chain so if it says signs of past seepage don't just don't do yourself a favor don't uh, number three is you want to look at the fill level a lot of these auction sites will have a photo of the bottle and you'll see actually how full that bottle is. If you see a normal wine bottle, let me get a sample here. There's a champagne bottle, but ignore that. So if you see a bottle here and it's full to like where it should be, great. Obviously it's been stored good. The bottle's mostly full. It's awesome. If it's like down the shoulder or even further down the shoulder and there's a lot of headspace, a lot of air in that bottle, you're opening yourself up for a wine that could potentially be spoiled. Now, very similar to our barrel aging process, uh, when we're making wine, you can have some wine slowly but surely evaporate out of these bottles as they age. But again, it's exacerbated like that, and you have a lot of space in there, typically when it's been stored improperly. So again, it's an indication that you might be buying something that is going to set you up for failure when it comes to the overall enjoyment. Now, Again, there's the off chance that, hey, maybe that's not too much air and maybe the wine's okay. Sure, it might be past its prime, but maybe it's still drinkable. You're flipping a coin. 
the signs of past seepage thing and a lot of headspace in the bottle, it's a coin flip. That wine's either going to be fine or it's going to be bad. There's really not going to be a lot of in-between in my experience. Uh, if you have wines that look pretty torn up and they've been leaking a lot or there's a lot of headspace in them, they've been bad. I can tell you probably 99.9999% of the time that I've opened those bottles, if the bottle looks like it's in good shape, even if the label's a little bit torn up, that's okay as long as the bottle's full and there aren't signs of it leaking and not a lot of headspace in that bottle. Those are like the most important things when buying some of these old wines because it's you're just mitigating risk. Whenever you're buying old wine like this, you're just mitigating risk to try and find stuff that you're actually going to enjoy. Last but not least, if you're really interested in getting into old wine, carve out some of your wine budget for it. Say, you know what, maybe once a month or once a year, I'm just gonna buy some older vintages and we're gonna see how they are. We're gonna check it out and see what's going on with them and see if we can't find some gems and maybe learn something new and different about these wines that are a little bit older. Or again, like we were talking about at the very beginning, maybe you just have some wines that have been laying around for a while, they're special bottles, you're not sure when to open them, throw yourself a party and get after it. That's really what the 30-year party has become in more recent history because all of us are over 30 years old now, believe me. And now it's just an excuse for us to get together and share some of these really special and some of these moments in history that you get to consume. And that's the crazy thing about drinking old wines like this is that you're, teleport you're like, okay, what was going on in 1993? What was the state of the world? What was the state of Napa? What was the state of this producer? Where were they? How were things going? It's a little time capsule that you get to drink and enjoy and share these amazing memories with a group of people. And that's why, I, and this is truly why I believe us winos talk so much about aging wine is because it teleports you back to those moments and you get to kind of relive the past very, very well. So it's something that is just outrageously cool and fun to do. And I hope that if you're willing to dive into it, that you get to try some older vintages, whether they're 30 years old, 10 years old, five years old, 40 years old, whatever the case may be, that you get to try some old wines at least every once in a while in your life because they can be really, really super special. So thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Wind Up Podcast. Uh, again, thank you so much for sharing uh, the podcast with folks, uh, for downloading it. Uh, continue telling your friends about it. Submit your questions uh, on our website, mtgawines.com. Scroll down to the bottom. That's where I have a little form for our monthly Q&As. Uh, you can also leave any questions in the comment section. That way we can start pulling some more of those for our monthly Q&As. Uh, it has been, I think this, this has been just an outrageously fun time over the past few months uh, getting this this podcast up and running. Uh, of course, I am also taking suggestions for uh, topics, any themes, anything you want to explore more of in more detail and dedicate, say, a full 30 or 40 minute episode to, happy to do that as well. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Again, be sure to subscribe, like, share, do all the things uh, for the podcast to keep it getting out there and into the airwaves. And we will catch you next week.